Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 22:14. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. The immoral woman spoken of here is immoral because she is adulterous and she uses her words to entice men, words of flattery and words of seduction. She knows the desires of men, desires to be recognized and praised, and ultimately their craving for physical affection. She crafts her words to entice, and the more she draws a man in, the closer he comes to falling. The immoral woman of Solomon's day is no different than one we may encounter today, but how we encounter her has changed. She is in the popular music, on television shows and commercials, internet ads, YouTube videos, all the media outlets of our modern era. The more we hear her siren sound song, the more we become accustomed to it and desire it. But the immoral woman is not just in the media. The woman who may have intentions to lead you astray could be your coworker, one of your friends on Facebook, or the next door neighbor's wife. The immoral woman is all around us. Therefore, men and boys of Christ Church, we must be on our guard. We must recognize her subtle but dangerous enticements. We must be like Joseph and flee as he did from Potiphar's wife. Stay far from the immoral woman in all of her forms today, and you will not fall. Linger at the edge of the pit, and eventually you will fall, and the fall from sexual sin is devastating. Marriages are broken, families are torn apart, jobs and income are lost, the shame and guilt are crushing burdens, reputation is not easily repaired, and ultimately the name of our Lord is blasphemed among unbelievers. Women of Christ Church, do not be the immoral woman. Use your mouths to sing God's praises and speak His truth. Let your speech express love and encouragement to your sons and to your husbands. Daughters, use your words to express honor and admiration to your fathers and to your brothers. This proverb reminds us that sin is dangerous because it's a treacherous pit, a trap that leads to death. It leads to death because God abhors it. But we must also remember that a heart that is broken and contrite over sin, he will not despise. Therefore, if you are willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins to God. the book of Acts. We're in the last half of chapter 28, the last chapter of the book. And in these final verses of Acts, uh, we're going to see the presentation of the gospel yet again to the Jews. Paul's going to share the gospel with the Jews in Rome. And we've been tracking Paul's ministry. Uh, and three weeks ago, we saw how God safely brought Paul through storms and through miracles uh, to Rome. 
and we review the trajectory of the entire book. Uh, remember how Jesus had commanded the apostles at the beginning of the book uh, to wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit and then to go out and be his witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so Paul's arrival here in Rome at the end of chapter 28, or in chapter 28, is certainly the culmination of this commandment in the book of the gospel to go out. It goes, it goes from, uh, from Galilee in Jerusalem, uh, a backwater uh, uh, province of Rome, the, the Roman Empire, to now it's at the, the heart of the empire. And, uh, and we're going to see at the very end of the chapter that Paul is faithful to carry out Jesus' commands. At the very end of the chapter, he spends two years proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and of, Je of the Lord Jesus Christ with, with all boldness and confidence and with no one prohibiting him. But the bulk of the rest of the chapter here, the, last, the bulk of this last half of chapter 28, is spent in describing Paul's interactions with the Jews in Rome. Now this is not a mistake. I mean, we, we expect him to go to Rome, we expect him to bring the gospel, but uh, the bulk of the last half of the chapter is Paul having an interaction with the Jews in Rome. It's not a mistake, it's not a red herring. Uh, we're going to see what should be by now a very familiar repetition of events. This is a familiar story in the book of Acts. When Paul goes anywhere, he brings the gospel to the Jews. And then the Jews are divided. They hear, but don't hear. They see, but don't see. And then Paul proclaims a charge against them. He brings charges against them. And this is a repeated story. We've seen this many times in Acts, and we're going to be looking just at what this means for us today. Why is this repeated over and over again in the book of Acts? We have much to learn from Paul and from the Jews and from God's word found here. So our text starts in verse 17 with Paul's address to the Jews in Rome. So this is, he's just arrived in Rome. He's, he's in house arrest there. Um, and and we and last last time I was here when we talked about the the, the status of his, his imprisonment he was a, a favored prisoner uh, the the centurion had given him good reviews Festus and Felix had given him good reviews so he's got some amount of freedom to do as he will in this imprisonment in Rome so verses 17 to 20 and it came to pass after three days. So Paul doesn't waste any time. He's been there three days in Rome. After three days, Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel 
I am bound with this chain. So here we see Paul's witness to the Jews for his own situation. He says, this is who I am, this is why I'm here. He breaks the ice with an address of respect, men and brethren. And with a declaration of his innocence, that ever since Paul has been attacked in, was, was attacked in Jerusalem, he's proclaimed his innocence. He says, I, I've done nothing against our people and the customs of our fathers. Remember, that was the accusation that the Jews in, in Israel had brought against him. But it was a political play on their part. Um, but, but Paul was innocent of, of violating the laws of the Jews. In fact, he was purified in the temple when he was arrested. He was being a, a Jew of the Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, he was paying for the, uh, the, 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 the vows that some of his, his fellow Jews had made. He was, he was being a pious Jew. So Paul breaks the ice with, with respect and innocence. And he concludes with a declaration of peace. He says, uh, I had, I had, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. He says, I appealed to Caesar. And that would make him suspect in their eyes. You know, they, the Jews were, were uh, very... Um, unhappy with the rule of Rome over them, the hegemony of Rome, the, the, the Roman Empire. They wanted their independence. And here's Paul, a Jew, imprisoned by the Romans, who had appealed to Caesar. So that, that, that would put him in a place of, of uh, suspicion in their eyes. But he, he declares that you know, he's, he's on a mission of peace. He doesn't have anything against them. He's just trying to be wise and to save his own skin because uh, his countrymen have, have attacked him. So he, he, uh, he concludes with, with a declaration of peace and he closes with a hook. And he, he closes with, with an attention getter. He says, for the hope of Israel, I'm bound with this chain. He says, now this is why I've called you here. He says, I need to declare this gospel message to you. The, the hope of Israel, the hope of everything in our scriptures, the promises of the Bible, because I believe in those and declare those. That is why I'm bound with this, this chain. And you need to know what that hope is. So, he's, so he, he, he closes with this, uh, with this hook. And next we have the Jews' response. The, the Jews' response to Paul's, to Paul's declarations and his, his, his uh, address here, verses 21 and 22. Uh, then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So Paul has his audience, and they, and they say that they want to hear about what Paul has to say. They say, we desire to hear from you what you think concerning this sect. They want to hear about Christianity. And so the next thing we see in the text is that Paul is happy to oblige. And so they set a date, they set a time, and many come together to hear the gospel, verses 23 and 24. So when they had appointed him a day, 
Many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. And this is a, a common refrain. The gospel goes out, it's clearly proclaimed, and we have some responding with faith and some responding with disbelief. So what is the gospel that Paul brings to them? The text says that it's the kingdom of God and Jesus, as revealed in the law of Moses and in the prophets. That is, that is the gospel. They come to him at his bidding, and, and he gives to them a message about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It's that God has intervened in the world, and he's revealed who he is and how we can be in relationship with him. And that's only by the way, the truth, and the life, but Jesus Christ. And we see him, and we know him, and we learn about him through the scriptures. He was there in the Old Testament scriptures. He was revealed. He revealed himself to the disciples. Remember after the resurrection, he revealed himself to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he explained to them from the scriptures and the prophets and the Psalms how they all spoke of him. They were all pointing to him. And so the gospel is about the message of Jesus Christ and his rule in the world. And the Jewish res response is mixed, and it brings Paul's indictment. Paul brings charges against the Jews because of their mixed response. Verses 25 to 28. So when they did not agree among themselves... They departed after Paul had said one word. And here's the word that Paul brings. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through, through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. They will hear it. Paul brings charges and a powerful warning. The charges are deafness and blindness due to hard-heartedness. He says, you are deaf and you are blind. And your heart is hard. Your heart has grown dull. He quotes the scriptures, the scriptures of, of warning to these Jews. He has every right to do so. 
He has spent the entirety day from morning to evening clearly demonstrating from the scriptures and bearing witness to the things that he has seen and the things he has done and the things that he knows because God has revealed them to him. He spent this entire day persuading his brethren whom he loves, saying, Jesus is Lord. Everything we've been waiting for and praying for and hoping for for centuries now are all fulfilled. The promise is true. The gospel is, is real. Salvation is free and it's for you and for me and for the world. What are you doing waiting on this? This isn't the kind of news you put in your back pocket or you stick in your pipe and say, I'm going to smoke on that for a while. This is the kind of thing that you hear and you jump up and down and you yell, hooray, hallelujah, praise the Lord. The answer to all of our problems right here. Clearly explained from the scriptures. Clearly manifested in the man, Jesus Christ. Clearly and freely and, and generously poured out and given to you. Just laid out on the table. You sit there and say, well, let me think about that. It's like they've been given a, win a winning lottery ticket. I don't know about that. I don't know. Forget a winning lottery ticket. $10 million set on the table in cash. Well, I don't know about that. Open your eyes, people. Open your ears. Hear what God is giving to you. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, peace with God. Your name's written in the, in the book of life for all eternity. Miracles of healing. Miracles of community. Breaking down the, the, these, these walls of hatred and enmity between Jew and Gentile. Hebrew and Greek. Breaking down the walls of separation. That tear men up and set them up against each other. Showing them a new way to live. And Paul spent the entire day proclaiming how Jesus and the kingdom of God are here. Rejoice! Some agree. Some don't believe. And then they fight about it. Paul is frustrated. These men have no excuse. They are the ones with the scriptures. They are the ones who are the, 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 the guardians of the truths of the, of the word of God given by his Holy Spirit to his people through the people that they claim as their ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, David, and the prophets. They have no excuse. And so they are simply the fulfillment of this prophecy. It says, their hearts are hard, they're deaf, and they're blind. 
And this is the warning. God's going to do this, no matter whether they go and get on board or not. God's plan is salvation for the world. But rejection of the gospel means that these Jews will not be beneficiaries of it. The prophecy says, lest they should see, lest they should understand, lest they should hear so that what? So that I should heal them. They need healing. And because they will not soften their hearts and humble themselves before God, they won't get it. And the gospel is ultimate. The gospel, the, the message that Paul brings is about the God who created the heaven and earth. The God whom every man will answer to at his deathbed. We'll all stand before God. We'll all show up in His throne room and in His judgment seat. And every man will answer to Him. And when we have this clear declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the means of salvation, the way of life, and we reject it because our hearts are hard, then we're guilty of His blood. And we're deserving of His damnation, which we were anyways. But we won't be recipients of His grace if we won't fall down at His feet and worship Him and rejoice and give thanks for the salvation that He freely gives. The, Paul knows that the Gospel's ultimate. He knows who God is and he knows who men are before him, before God. And that's why he cannot do anything less than bear witness and tell the world the Gospel. I mean, this is, all, this is what it all comes down to. Do you believe that Jesus died for the sins of men? And that there's no way to be saved outside of him. And if you do, and if you believe that that truth is for you, and you are given the love of Jesus Christ, it should fill you with the love of your brethren. It should fill you with a desire for their salvation. Your, your heart should burn and yearn to proclaim this truth to the world, just like Paul's. God's will will be done, but His will is a glorious thing. And this is what we see in the end of the book, is the vindication of the gospel. He's proclaimed it, he's declared it, and now it's vindicated. Verses 29 and 31. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. That's vindication of the gospel right there. The Jews had a dispute. The gospel separates, it divides. For those of us who realize what the gospel is, you can't back down on this one. It's all or nothing. And those who refuse to acknowledge what the gospel is, refuse to give up all. Therefore, they're going to stick to their guns. So the gospel is a fire. It's a sword. It brings division. When he said these words... The Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. 
And here's further vindication of the gospel. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. This is the cycle I mentioned a few weeks ago. Remember? Every time the gospel goes out, we have the declaration of the gospel. We have witness. We have faith and unbelief. And we have vindication. Every time the gospel goes out, the word of God is not void. It does not return to him void. It, it brings a charge against sin. And it brings life to those who will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. It's light. It sets things in stark relief. The gospel is light. When you see the gospel, when you see Jesus Christ, you know that you're a sinner and you are desperately in need of him. And if you reject that truth, you close your eyes, you plug your ears, you have nothing left but empty and vain roarings, fury, pointlessness, emptiness, death. You've closed your eyes and your heart to life. The Jews are divided because Jesus said back in Luke, I came to set the world on fire. The gospel divides brother from brother and families and friends. That's the kind of Lord we serve. is all or nothing. And then Paul is vindicated because he continues to do exactly what he wants to do. This is Paul. Paul's arrived, man. He's in, he's in Rome. He's preaching and teaching Jesus and the kingdom of God without hindrance. Praise the Lord. The Jews can't touch him. He's in Roman custody. Praise the Lord. He gets to speak about Jesus every day. During this imprisonment, he writes four of the books of the Bible. Praise the Lord. He's getting to do what he wants to do. This whole episode, uh, this last half of the chapter of verse chapter 28, it forms a bookend to Paul's ministry. In the, as, it, as represented in the book of Acts. This, this, this stop here in Rome with his interaction with the Jews is exactly like his very first stop at Antioch in Turkey. It's exactly the same. He shows up, he goes to the synagogue, he goes to the Jews, he, he declares the gospel. And they say, we want to hear more. We want to hear. That's what they say. And so the next few days, the day is appointed, they come back, and many come together, and he tells them more. And the Jews reject it. And Paul brings charges, and he says, therefore, the gospel will go to the Gentiles. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. This, <coughs> excuse me, this is Paul's ministry. He's Jesus' man. He's a man who's been filled with a message. And he goes 
to the Jews, and the Jews reject it, so it goes to the Gentiles. And that's, what he, that's how he works. That's, that's how he's worked all through the book. The last two verses of this chapter close out the entire book. Remember the book of Acts started with Jesus at uh, the uh, Ascension? And, and he's telling, he's telling his, uh, his, his disciples um, what they're supposed to do. He gives them commands. He says, you are going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And then they, they, they come back to Jesus and they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, is now the time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? The rest of the book of Acts is all an answer to that question. Yes, yes, Jesus says, I'm a, the kingdom of God is here, but it's way bigger than Israel. This is the new Israel. As we close the last page of the book, we see that the kingdom of God is established. The book of Luke, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. The book of Acts is the establishment of his kingdom. We see Jesus serving, witnessing with no one forbidding him, and the kingdom is so far beyond the confines of Israel because it's for the world. It's not for just the Jews. I mean, Acts had to do some radical things to change the, 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 the minds of Jewish Christians to understand this. I mean, God had to appear three times to Peter. Remember that with Cornelius? God appeared three times to Peter and says, Here, take and eat. Peter says, It's all unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, like, Fine, I'll show you what I mean. And, three, and some men appear at the door and they say, Come with come, we, we, Peter, Peter, you're supposed to come with us. And the angel has to tell Peter, Peter, go with them. Peter goes with them. He goes to Cornelius. He starts preaching the gospel message. He only gets cornered the way into it, and they start speaking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he gets it. Now he gets it. Whoa, the gospel's for Gentiles. And then the rest of the book is about Paul fleshing this out. The gospel is for the Gentiles. And what does he say here? Let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Look at you. You're all Gentiles. You're hearing it. Praise the Lord. God came to save us. God came to save us. He's humbled our hearts by His Spirit, given us fleshly hearts so that we can respond with faith and love Him and be filled with His love. The story of the book of Acts makes their question, their original question, nonsensical. The nation of Israel is actively rejecting the kingdom of God. But God will do His will no matter what. 
I titled the sermon, New Wine Needs New Wineskins. What's that all about? Why did I do that? In Luke, Jesus uses this metaphor to explain the principle of congruency. What's congruent, what's incongruent? He says, we need to be congruent. We need to, we need to be consistent here. So Jesus was asked why his disciples didn't fast, while the disciples of John and the Pharisees did fast. <coughs> and then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. <clears throat> I'm using the metaphor a little differently today. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God are way bigger than the wineskin of Judaism. It won't fit. And this is why the Jews have hard times understanding the gospel. They're trying to squeeze Jesus into their mold. They're trying to make him fit into their vision of what the Messiah had to look like. Kingdom of God's way bigger than, than that. The primary problem with the Jews, as we've encountered them again and again throughout the book of Acts, is a problem of hard hearts. It's pride. Their hearts are hard. They, they think they know. They think they have the answer. They don't need a physician. Everybody else needs to listen to them. But they won't listen to God. It's pride. The Jews were trying to judge Jesus. Tell me about this gospel, Paul. Tell, tell this to me. I want to hear this. I want to hear this. And when they hear it, it has to fit their constructs or they will not accept it. They don't want to hear it. In trying to judge Jesus, they got everything upside down. Everything was backwards. Don't be like the Jews. They were full of knowledge and darkness. They had truth in the scriptures and blindness. Don't be like them. Soften your heart before Jesus Christ and before God. You know, the Jews were trying to be critics and cynics. But the job of a critic and the job of the cynic is a cheap imitation of the true, the good, and the beautiful. It's easy to sit back in your armchair and pick apart other things and make yourself God, make yourself judge. It's easy for us. Our hearts are so easy. It's so easy for us to do that. But it's cheap. That's a cheap way to look smart, to look holy, to look good. I mean, when you're all, all you're full of is, is criticism and judgment. But you can't live life in the peanut gallery. That's not living. 
You can't be the one. You can't be the cynic. You can't be the one who's going to judge because you're the one who's going to be judged. You, you have to invest yourself in life. You have to dive in. You, you have to live by faith. You have, to, you have to give your heart to Jesus. You have to say, Lord, I, I'm yours. I, I belong to you. I will do. I will do what you tell me to do. Wow, those are words of faith. He might tell you to do something. That's scary. Cynics don't like that. They're afraid. He might tell he might just tell you to do something. Get used to that. Get, get used to living on the edge of your seat. Because God is the one with whom all men have to do. Think about that. God is the one to whom every man will answer. In our heart of hearts, in our conscience of conscience, we will be laid bare before the ultimate judge, Jesus Christ. And you will look him in the eyes, and you will fall down at his feet. Either in love and adoration, or in fear and trepidation. Those are two options. There's no other option. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus offers you free grace, and you can be in love and, and admiration, love and worship. So out with the old and in with the new. And good riddance. Out with the old, in with the new. Good news, news, good news, forever and ever, amen. We no longer have to fear. Our sins are nailed to the cross. We have freedom and life and peace with God. Jesus is the mold that we must fit into. He is the judge that we must answer to. He is God, manifested to mankind, and he is Lord and master of the universe. He walks on the water. He heals sicknesses. He turns water to wine. He binds the broken. He lifts up, he lifts up the poor and the humble and the needy. And this brings us to Advent. Praise the Lord. Every year we look forward to God's continued revelation and establishment of His kingdom in the church calendar. It's Advent. Come, 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 Lord, we're waiting for you. With the apostles at the beginning of Acts, we need to ask at the beginning of the year, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom? Is now the time? Do we get to look for it right now? It's good for us to desire this and to yearn and to seek for it. It's good for us to want to be in Jesus' kingdom. And to recognize that we're not there yet. Because we're not there yet, we must proclaim and bear witness to what we know. We, Jesus has come. He is Lord. And He is King. It's the principle of already, not yet. Jesus is already Lord, and he's not yet he's not yet driven every enemy under his feet yet. He's already Lord. He's doing it, but it's not done. So as we go through seasons and years, God shares more with us. 
He opens more to us. We take part in doing His will and establishing His kingdom. So we participate in His glory and we learn what it is to rest in Him. The world is too big for us. That's a good thing because it, it fills us with awe and wonder. God is too big for us. It means no yawning, no being bored. There's no room for that. Christmas! Get excited! Don't get bored! I mean, God is too big. C.S. Lewis had it right in the last battle. When, when his heroes from the Chronicles of Narnia arrive in, in their version of heaven, they reach Aslan's country. And, and just like them, we move forward forever and ever, deeper. Further up and further in is the call. Further up and further in. More glory, more weight, more holiness, more righteousness, more justice, more truth, more establishment of Christ's kingdom. Praise the Lord. Because the race is life, and life is the race. To God be the glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. a new wineskin in the gospel, on the cross, actually. And that new wineskin was the church. God filled his people with the wine of life. We overflow with the Holy Spirit, and in him we carry out the work of Jesus Christ. And this picture is borne out for us in this, in this supper. The wineskin of the church is given definition in the sacraments. We are united to our Lord in our baptism, and we're united to each other in the sacramental meal of the Lord's Supper. Here we are shown who we are, and what we are as sinners in desperate need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And we're shown the, the life-sustaining power of the food which he promises to give to us, and he does give to us week after week after week. But we are also a community. We are the recipients of grace as we freely partake of the promise of the gospel and rejoice in the salvation we are given. So as you eat and drink, remember how Jesus loved you and then go and do likewise. Pour yourself out for your brethren. Share the gospel and bear witness to the ends of the earth. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.